1: Episode 161 of the Rise and Shine podcast, and man, I am so fired up for the featured guest. He is one of the best in the business, a former NBA player turned incredible broadcaster, superstar from Sirius XM NBA radio, and he does all the analysis for the Boston Celtics in Boston. My guy, the great Brian Scalabrini is the featured guest on the Rise and Shine podcast, and Listen, we don't always want to do an interview on the pod that's an instant reaction to something that happened in sports, right? It could be anything. It could be an actor. It could be an actress. It could be someone in sports that's relevant to the topics of the day or the week. It just has to be something that is obviously entertaining and something that sizzles i mean that's the standard when bob and i put together a list of who we want on the pod and Scal has always been on my list and we figured perfect opportunity to do it now with the denver nuggets winning a championship and he's the perfect person to hit on the takes because on the heels of how the denver nuggets did it and the historic domination of nikola Jokic. I mean, I have a freight train of takes. So that's how we're going to do the interview. I'm going to hit Scal over the head with take after take after take after take. Plus, we'll get his take on the NBA offseason, the Lakers, the Celtics, and we'll chop it up with the great Brian Scalabrini, who is absolutely incredible. Plus, I'm going to let him in on a little secret, how he changed the entire projection of my career. Trust me you don't want to miss it now it is tuesday it is one thirty eastern time as we are recording this and our senior executive producer bob stew is on no sleep and i'm on no sleep as the nuggets win a championship and it was just incredible to watch and You know, we're obsessed and we stay up and we watch, obviously, the game and the post-game show. And, you know, Scott Van Pelt doing all the interviews on ESPN and, you know, all the pomp and circumstance and Jokic in the pool with Murray and spraying the champagne and he hates parades as much as I do. So obviously, you know, you have sports fatigue and NBA playoffs. It's like a game every night, you know, especially the first couple of rounds at 10 o'clock, 1030 start. I mean, I, I haven't slept since let's be honest i I haven't slept since the championship in college basketball neither has bob neither has any diehard fan or if you do what we do for a living we're not complaining it's what you sign up for and you know with all that said i give you that to give you this bob do you have any idea why i am so fired up today why i am in such an incredible
2: mood do you have any any idea No, I actually don't, especially with how much you love the NBA, Adam. I'm surprised you're fired up. Why are you fired up? I am in a great mood. I'm going to give you a a hint, right? What
1: have I been searching for? What have I been trying to accomplish? I'll see if this is on your radar. Bob, of course, has two young kids at home. Obviously, he hasn't slept. He's not thinking about my happiness other than the show and the podcast. What, What have I been trying to achieve? For the last seven
2: to ten days. Okay, now I remember. It's funny because I am also, like you said, I'm on no sleep just permanently. So my brain is constantly turned off. Yeah, Adam, I gotta tell you, I was a little embarrassed when you've been trying to do this about a week ago. You have been trying to secure a reservation at Garbone in New York. Yes. And it has gone absolutely so friggin' poorly. (laughs) I I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin, Adam. Where how would you begin this story? Well, and it's funny, I purposely didn't tell Bob we were
1: gonna talk about this on the podcast because I think everyone can relate if you have that. That that carrot dangled of entertainments, of a reservation, something that's elusive that that you want. I've been to Carbone twice. Bob's been to Carbone as well. And I'm dying to go back. And ever since Aaron Rodgers went to Carbone, I, I said to Katie, I'm like, we're we're going back to Carbone. It, it is a Mount Rushmore restaurant for me in New York City. And It's old school. I should even frame it better. It's new school, the way they do reservations, and I hate it. I want to make a call. I want to talk to a human. Every day at 10 o'clock Eastern Time, 30 days out, you have to log on to Resi, an app that uh, you can make dinner reservations on, to make a reservation for Carbone. I want to speak to a person. I want to call 30 days in advance. Hey, can I get a table at 6? I get a table at 8? Whatever. That's what I want. I want human contact. There's also another fly in the ointment with this entire situation. I'm hosting a radio show from 9 to noon every day. So my priority is not to get a reservation at Carbone. Now, Bob was trying to tell me I had to be signed in to Resi in order to do this. Of course, the first day, I instantly click on it. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a 630 reservation. I wasn't signed in. I didn't have my wallet next to me. Couldn't put the credit card information in. The next day I do it, the PGA and the Live Golf, the merger happens. Obviously, bam, that's not going to happen. Forget. Literally, 9.59 a.m., CNBC had that story. Bob knows. And I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, this is not going to be the day I get the Carbone reservation. I have our intern get ready to do it. I didn't have him logged in. He was able to get the reservation, but I didn't have the credit card. So, all right, I'll 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 get logged in. Then uh, last Friday news broke. And then Saturday I tried to do it. And then, bam, everything is completely gobbled up, scooped up. I even set an alarm. I went for a run. I'm like, all right, 952, here's the alarm. Make sure you go and, and you get a reservation for Carbone my my parents asked me what I want for Father's Day, my birthday. It's always back to it's usually back to back days, right? Seventeenth is my birthday in June. And this year it's it's birthday back to back Father's Day. So first of all, I don't want any presents. I, I'm I'm happy. I'm great. Life is wonderful. I, I don't need a but my parents like we want to get your present. So my mom's like, just give me any any place to get a for a dinner gift certificate. I got a little cocky, Bob. I said,
2: Carbone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take. Do they the re- give gift certificates. Oh at yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I mean,
1: I was surprised too. You can go didn't online take it as
2: a gift certificate place. Yeah,
1: I didn't think it would be. She said, "All right, huh. I'm gonna get you a gift certificate for Carbone." I'm like, "All right, I have the gift certificate now. I need to get the reservation." <laughs> so I was able to do it, and I pumped my fist wow. and I celebrated. And I'll tell you what I did, right? And it's the power <laughs> yeah. of being polite. I I got a reservation at a time I didn't want, and I sent an email saying I made a mistake. No, can they we, didn't
3: buy that.
1: Can, no, this is true. This is a true. They didn't story. buy this. <laughs> is it Bob? I I would not lie about a cardboard <laughs> reservation. No, I don't think you're
2: lying. I can't believe that they would buy this story. It's a true story. I'm being very genuine. I've emailed in the past. How do I do it? And
1: they were able to accommodate my request of a 6 o'clock dinner reservation. So it'll be right after on a summer night in July when I tape the TV show, go downtown, and I am so happy. And, Bob, you've been there. I've been there. This was... You
2: can tell, America, oh, I was no. livid when I wasn't getting these reservations. <laughs> well, livid. See, you were this is because you were a minnow swimming in shark's waters, Adam. <laughs> you didn't even. The first day we tried to do this in the studio, you go, okay, great. I'm going to get a reservation at Carbone today. And I spit out whatever coffee I was drinking. <laughs> That's a true I story. said, okay, yeah, sure. You said, yeah, 10 o'clock, it goes hot. I'll be on the website. You weren't even logged in. I go, you have no chance to get a reservation. I didn't they're know all about the login. Up. Yeah, they're all scooped up within the first two minutes. So, you know, we, it was amazing. We almost did get one. You know, we had our great intern, Jordan Leonard, sitting there punching in you know uh, you know just punching it in on the keyboard your email your phone and number. by I'm the laughing. way you say you say two minutes
1: i'll be honest i think it's like a 30 45 second situation
2: i think you're right because the show open hadn't played yet and that's usually like two little, minutes two minutes two minutes yeah we <laughs> have two to minutes 10-02. to get this done yeah. yeah so i was sitting there right? i'm like oh great you have no chance you're typing in emails so you already had no chance But this is where I I think the story has changed. See, if your name was not Adam Shine, I don't think the restaurant is buying this story. A 6 o'clock reservation at Carbone. What are you, Ray Liotta from the Goodfellas? (laughs) Oh, man, I'm going to have to use you to get myself better reservations. Because it's funny, I can go on right now. There are a couple reservations open. If I want to go, Bob Stew, I want to go to Carbone tonight. I can go at 11:30 at night. Right. Well, that doesn't count. That's like, you're not eating dinner <laughs> at 11:30. No, no, no. When I
1: say re- I'm talking about <laughs> meal time for dinner, not not 11:30. And by the way, that's if you want to go tonight, those are day of cancellations. For oh peop- yeah. But that's what happens because people go and they try and get the reservation. They hope that someone's going to cancel early day of week of, and then you change from 11:30 to an earlier time. So, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I am always nice in how I send emails and how I talk to people. So (laughs) I, I, I am, I, this is, I have a, and it's, it's genuine, right? But you know, I have been, this is all I wanted, all I wanted. And I've been, I haven't been to Carbone since before COVID. So I think the last time I went to Carbone was 2019, You've been since. You oh, and, yeah. and Kat do went for, went for lunch You're a great job, by the way. It's if you amazing. could do lunch, you don't have anything after. Katie, oh, would yeah. not, Katie would not do lunch at Carbone. She would not do lunch at Carbone. But this is a Mount Rushmore restaurant. My four favorite restaurants in New York City, and I told Aaron Rodgers this, Carbone, Elio's, I love the, the Polo Bar, and Sushi of Gari. Every restaurant in New York City, I feel like, is amazing. But those are my four personal favorites. But you know how fired up I am. The fact that I got carbone, I started pumping my fist, going nuts. I, start, I audibly yelled. I was so pumped up. If you heard me scream randomly at, like, 10.01 today, <laughs> this is why. Because I took all your advice, all the steps, Everything I needed to do, and I got my reservation at Carbone, Bob. I mean, this this feels like the greatest day in the history of the Rise and Shine podcast.
2: I feel like if your name was John Smith, you'd be eating dinner at 1130 at night like the rest of us at Carbone. Had. No,
1: I no, no, no. Well, I mean, listen, you know, if Carbone wants to, uh, you know, uh, sponsor the Rise and Shine podcast, we can work on that, too. I know no <laughs> issue with that at all. Listen, live show at Carbone. Who says no? Brian Scalabrini. You know, Scal loves Carbone when he was playing for the Brooklyn Nets. He is the featured guest on the Rise and Shine podcast. He joins us next.
3: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing.
0: Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. NFL fans, right now on the SXM app. Hear in-depth coverage of your team with the Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. It's all the analysis, all the breakdowns that matter to you. Hosted by the players who played for your team. And the fans who eat, sleep, and breathe it. 32 diehard fan bases. 32 podcasts. The Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. B-L-E-A-V. Search Believe in, followed by your team. On the SXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts
1: the featured guest this week on the rise and shine podcast he is the absolute best superstar on sean butler's outstanding sirius xm nba radio where he is a featured host he carries my guy frank isola every single morning and you can listen to them on the starting lineup 7 to 10 a.m eastern time That's channel 86 and on the SXM app. Just search NBA radio. Analyst for the Boston Celtics as well, my guy,
3: Brian Scalabrini. Scal, how are you? You know what? I'm doing well. It's always like a... Remember when you got out of school and it was like a great day to start the summer? That's kind of the way I feel when the NBA season is over. I love the NBA. It's a grind the playoffs are, but... It does feel a little nice that the offseason, which is still full with news and everything, is beginning. 100%. It's funny. We started the podcast talking about sports fatigue. I mean, I'm
1: sure you're the same way, especially with your show and your hours. I mean, I feel like I haven't slept in, in months, which is a pretty good thing. Now, I'll explain this in a second. But speaking of lack of sleep, I want to know if this date means anything to you. Before we chop it up and talk about the NBA. May right. 14th, 2004. What does that mean to Brian
3: Scalabrini? Um, 2004? I mean, May I don't know. May 14th, big. Did I? Did I play big in a playoff game?
1: You played brilliantly in a playoff game against the Detroit Pistons. It was a Friday night for the Brooklyn Nets. You were amazing off the bench, hitting shots, hitting threes, one of the signature games of your career. Now, why am I starting the interview with this? Okay. Because after the game, Gary Sussman, who is the incredible PR director for the, the Brooklyn Nets, he hooked me, a weekend host on WFAN radio, up with an interview with Brian Scalabrini. Now we asked for Jason Kidd, we asked for for Kenyon Martin. You know, we we asked for we asked for everybody else up and down the list, as for Richard Jefferson, and he said, "Trust me, you're going to want Scal." And uh. you hit all these big 3s, you beat the Pistons who would eventually win win the entire thing, and it was incredible. I was great. You were unbelievable. And this is on an overnight show on WFAN radio. The next morning, Chris Russo, Chris Russo plays the interview on his Saturday morning show and says, this is how you do a sports radio interview. The legendary boss of WFAN Radio, Mark Chernoff, who would not dish out compliments all the time, called me to tell me it was one of the best interviews that he's heard post-game in quite some time. So I was hired by our mutual friend, Steve Cohen, two weeks later as the first ever host for Sirius Sports. This is even before Sirius XM, before the merger, before Howard Stern. So I've never had an opportunity to tell you that story or say thank you or explain how Steve Cohen was so important in all of that That year, we started NFL Radio. My first ever intern is Sean Butler, your current program director. So May 14th, 2004, Brian Scalabrini lights up the Detroit Pistons, and it's one of the true turning points in my
3: career. Well, that's funny because that game right there – if we would have won that game in regulation, if you remember Chauncey Billups hits that half court shot, right? I feel like Jason Kidd, his knee was already like a little troublesome. He ended up playing 60 minutes. He was awesome, you know? And I felt like after that, that 60 minutes really, you know, bothered. Like he never really recovered from that game. So it was a shining moment in my career, a shining moment in your career. And it's like tied into like Chauncey Billups hitting this half court shot. And we ended up losing because of the extra minutes that kid had to play, which it would have been interesting if we would have went on and played Indiana and what we could have done that year. If Chauncey Billups doesn't hit that shot. So even it's really weird, right? I always say this about life and people always wonder like Chauncey Billups making that shot was such a negative Yet it was a positive for me, not long term. I'd rather win, but it was also a positive for you know, like you or what you know. You never know like the degrees of separation based off of that. But if I had it, could do it all. I would give up the moment, and you would still be an intern, and we can win the series. <laughs> That's just the kind of guy that I am.
1: <laughs> By the way, I tell people this all the time, and and maybe nationwide you know, and early on, and you were on those teams after a brilliant career at USC, you know, all right, Nets, punching bag against Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers in the finals. Scout, those Nets teams were unbelievable. They were unbelievable. Yeah, Jay- they were fun. Yeah. Jason was amazing. You you turned that franchise into something. You know, you think a team-oriented play. You guys had something special for those years in the early 2000s with the Nets.
3: Yeah, Sean, I was really lucky from this standpoint. Like, I was 23 years old when I came into the NBA. If I'm 22, if I'm 21, if I'm 20, I'm not making it. And I go to a team that needs depth, right? We're obviously a really good team. And I got a chance to be a rotational player my rookie year. And then to even add one more step to that, Eddie Jordan was our assistant coach and he wanted to run Princeton offense. And that was like right up my alley, you know, like a forward who can handle and pass and pop out and shoot. Like it was the perfect sort of situation for me. And, A lot of, like, there's going to be guys in the NBA that are going to play 10 years, 20 years, 15 years, no matter what situation they're in. For me, it's very situational. You know, I if they don't trade for Jason Kidd, I'm not sure I play 11 years. If if we don't go to the finals for the first two years, I'm not sure I make it 11 years. If I don't have that game that you're talking about, I'm not sure I play 11 years. So a lot of my life is, like, kind of dictated based off of opportunity and taking advantage of that opportunity. And, like, not to say that... I didn't work hard. If you talk to anybody that's ever been a teammate of mine, they'll tell you I worked hard, but I was really lucky as well as being on a team like that um, with a player like Jason Kidd, and um, you know, like playing and having success at a young age, which I was young, but I was like, I was a like kind of a veteran coming out of college. I wasn't a 19 year old kid.
1: Oh, and that's an important part of this story too, because you know, and I just looked it up quickly before the interview, I mean, your USC career was amazing. And that, you know, I graduated college in 99 and I was so into college basketball. Like I just was obsessed as a Syracuse guy. You were phenomenal at USC. You know, you guys lost, if I have it correct, in the Elite Eight against Duke. There were a lot of people, myself included, who thought you guys could beat Duke that year. I mean,
3: you were a phenomenal player at USC. Yeah, so... They had five NBA players on their team, and they were all really good. Like, there was Jay Williams, uh, Mike Dunleavy, Carlos Boozer, Shane Battier, uh, and Chris Duhan. And those guys were – yeah, those guys were really – I mean, it was um, – playing against those guys, you – I we might have – if we would have played them 100 times, maybe they would have beat us 98 out of 100. You could just tell there's a big difference. But I love those guys at USC. I love Henry Bibby. I, I was, um, you know, Henry Bibby, you know, the, the series that just went on, Christian Brown, was one of the players who won in college, now won in the NBA. Well, Henry Bibby was another guy who's done that. I think there's only been five of them. And as yet, like, I'm telling, I tell this to everybody. And, you know, I get it. Like, everybody handles certain things differently. I was a naive kid from the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, a farm town outside of Seattle, Washington. And the greatest coach I could have had was Henry Bibby because he was so no nonsense and he was on my ass every single day that I had like it, no choice, but to make it. And I, every time I see him, I thank him for that. Like I get it. Like you want a coach to be your friend and all that stuff. That wasn't going to work for me. Uh, coach Bibby, what he did and that USC team and what he did with us and changing that program around. I, I, uh, if I could if I could see him every day, I would thank him every day. That's how important he was. Not not that he was the greatest coach in the world or the greatest motivator in the world. It was exactly what I needed to, like, turn my life into what it became.
1: That's awesome, Scal. I, I love that. So that's that's a good lead-up, and obviously you have that incredible career, and I knew from that interview on May 14th, 2004, you were going to be a great broadcaster. You had a, a cup of coffee and coaching. I knew you'd find your way to the to the broadcast booth and to, you know, a host chair because you have that amazing gift to gab, and and you know ball. So what I want to do is I want to hit you as we're taping this. You know, the day after, as you said, the the Nuggets win a championship. I just want to hit you with takes and get your reaction. Because I think what Jokic just did, it's going to go down in history as one of the greatest single seasons ever. And I think if you look at the last three years and what he's accomplished, MVP, which he earned, followed it up with an MVP, which he earned, followed it up by finishing second, and there was a case for three guys, Giannis and Embiid, who won, and, and Jokic. They have the number one seed in the West. He has the most points, rebounds, assists of any player in the postseason, first time in history, Scal, that's ever happened. I mean, to me... This is about as majestic as it gets as a run. He beats, obviously, a talented eight seed. He beat Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. He was able to knock out LeBron and Anthony Davis. And then a freight train with Miami, who was beating everyone, with, to me, a top six coach in the history of the NBA.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's an all-time great player, right? You know, like, the this year took a weird turn. I, I don't understand, like, people... I, I, I guess I want to give it uh, – let's um. – I'll play glasses half full here. Maybe people don't like the way he plays. Maybe people don't like, like, the simplicity of what he does. Maybe people aren't, like, enamored by him placing the ball perfectly for Aaron Gordon to get the ball turned and get a layup. And, you know, like, they want to harp on his defense. His defense was phenomenal throughout the playoffs. Led the NBA in defensive rebound percentage. Um, led, led the NBA in assist percentage. Like, I just – I don't. Um, I don't understand why the world is not like not just looking at him as clearly our best player in the NBA right now, but like the world should be talking more about historically where this guy sits, you know, on that throne of, you know, all time great players. And I know there's a lot of body of work to be done, but I'm with you. Like, yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Like, I, I'm not disrespecting the Denver Nuggets at all. I think that if I was. It's unfair to say if you take a player off Jokic, what are they like? Because if I was Calvin Booth or Tim Conley at the time, I'm gonna build my entire team off this guy. And if you could fit in with him, which not everyone does, but if you can, then all of a sudden you're gonna be a great player. You're gonna play two, three notches above what you normally can. And that's what that's what great GMs and should do. And that's what great players make the guys around them better. I just, I just I just hope that the the world now recognizes his greatness is is more than just like uh, I don't know he passes the ball or he averages a triple double. It's he uh, Jamal Crawford said it's Jokic versus Spolstra. and that got a little bit of, of play. But what what he was really saying is Spolstra has fooled teams, players, coaches. He's mixed up his defense with the one three one. A one-two-two, two, a two-three zone, a three-two, a man-to-man. They do it with pressure, and you know the counter. There, there wasn't one against Milwaukee. There wasn't one against the the Knicks. There wasn't one against the Celtics, but there was one in the league, and that's Nikola Jokic. And no matter what Eric Spolstra did, Jokic had the answers to the test. And I, and maybe that doesn't mean a lot to people. That meant a lot to me watching him play, saying like Spolstra had to be thinking to himself as he was chewing on that pen. There's nothing I could do to fool this individual. And I'm probably being honest here. Spolster has probably never, ever said that to himself when he was talking about another player. So I'm listening to the
1: word choice. I'm nodding my head. I'm literally agreeing with everything. I've said it in some way, shape, or form. The basketball depth that you add, Scal, it takes the conversation and the credence to a totally different level. So when you talk about all-time great, I mean, look, I've called him Wiltz meets Mozart. I mean, he's smarter than everyone. It's a beautiful basketball machine. I mean, where do you want to go with it on the freight train it takes? I mean, are we talking about a, an elite all-time great center? Are we talking about the most skilled center of all time? Where, what's your highest level of a take on Nikola Jokic?
3: Yeah, so I'm. I don't. I don't cross the generations. I just say like it's not fair to say like um what what he would have been like then or what Wilt would have been like now. Like that's just it's just like it's, you know. Um, I was on the Dan Patrick show the other day and he was talking about the, I think it was Indianapolis 500, and he said the the, the average speed in the Indianapolis 500 in 1923 was 75 miles an hour. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like. We got a minivan in the driveway that can do 110. <laughs> you know, so it's it's so unfair to like to compare the eras, right? But you, I, as of all the big men in our generation right now, he's by far the best big man. Uh, and no disrespect to Joel Embiid, he's just I and mean, he doesn't do, like doesn't dominate the game like he does. And and, and B could outplay Jokic, but is just better. He's he's in a guard-driven league. He's a big man that is probably the best player in our league or not a guard driven. It's more of a wing driven league. Jokic is the best player we have. So for this generation, you want to draw that line at Shaquille O'Neal, like probably after 2005. You want to like this, whatever this era is, is is Nikola Jokic era. Oh, well, without question now. I look at the combo
1: with Jamal Murray, who's a terrific player and a terrific story in terms of the rehab and getting better with the knee. And, you know, there was a period of time last year, and Murray's talked about it. The knee was connected to the head. I mean, he had to get over that hurdle after all mm-hmm. the rehab. And, you know, I was tearing up watching the post game and listening to Jamal Murray talk. I, I just love watching him. There are so many amazing duos. And obviously, you always think big and small. You know, look, Stephen Clay's an all timer. Tatum and Brown, excellent. We know how it ended, obviously, with with the Celtics this year. But this Jokic-Murray combo scout, to me, it's the best. And it's been the best. I mean, you could argue maybe AD and LeBron. There's potential for Durant and Booker. But you want to stop me on the freight train it takes when I say they are the best duo in, in the <coughs> NBA when you look at Jokic and Murray?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't... I- they got to be the best duo when it cuz because they have all aspects of this game covered. They have two guys that could shoot it, right? They have a guy that could post up. Jamal Murray can get to the basket, get to the, the mid-area, turn and shoot a fadeaway. They both pass it. You know, um you, Nikola Jokic uh he rebounds the ball. So like some duos can do a lot of things like Tatum and Brown, you know, you said LeBron and AD. They could do a lot, but no, no, no. Duo is complete like this. Where, like, even if even if Nikola Jokic made like twenty percent of his threes versus forty percent of his threes, it's a big difference. And that two man game that you were just talking about, pick your poison. You if you want to put you know, all your emphasis to Murray, even if you full rotate the Jokic, he's gonna find the next guy who's gonna be wide open. So it's just we it's hard to find a combination with like a two man game combination. There was one I like when, when Durant played and Draymond green would come up and set a screen on Steph Curry and they would throw back to him and he would drive and he could kick it to clay and Durant in a corner. Like that was pretty deadly too. But as far as like a two man game that could end up, like you're, you're really going to give up a wide open shot when those two guys go any type of high pick and roll. And so Looking at all of it, a lot of people could point to defense and say they're not. I would disagree. I think yeah. Jokic is one of the best defensive centers in the NBA. The way that he doesn't overcommit and he meets guys at the rim, makes guys miss, led the league in defensive rebound percentage. So, I would say it's it's uh probably at this point not really a discussion. Those two guys are probably the best duo in the NBA.
1: Obviously, first championship in Denver Nuggets history. And, and you know, game 5, Denver was sloppy and they were pressing and they couldn't shoot. I think that's all human nature by the way as you know, obviously, they weren't there when Kiki Vandewey was there or Dan Issa was there. But there's a weight in trying to win a first-ever championship, obviously. Now, Scal, I look into the crystal ball and I say, they can do it again. And maybe again after that. And I, Dynasty's a funny and funky and tough and aggressive word. But, yeah, everybody's under contract. I would think they would be the favorites next year, the year after with a golden opportunity to do it again.
3: So this is how I look at this, uh, Shine. It's the Michael Porter Jr. situation. Is he going to develop? And I know he played great in Game 5, but he makes $40 million a year. Is he going to develop into that player where he's worth it and you can pencil him in for a 20 to 25? He wasn't there this year. When, eventually, like right now, they have to make a decision. The Denver Nuggets can only pay Bruce Brown $7.8 million. Can Bruce Brown go get more money somewhere else? I don't know. Do you think if they lose Bruce Brown, that's going to be a hard hit? I I actually do. I think he was a great fit for them. I thought Calvin Booth did a good job of signing him. So I think when you start talking about dynasties, a lot of times it's making sure that everyone is overperforming their contract. So, the Michael Porter Jr. situation, now he could get better from last year to this year or from this this previous season to what it looks like next year. He could improve. He could become more consistent defensively. Or maybe he's good enough to trade and get two guys in there that are probably a better fit for the Cola Jokic. So be, that would be the only asterisk in my mind that could cause this thing to kind of derail because when you're winning titles – Guys, value goes up, and, and you know it's hard to maintain and keep your team together.
1: That's a superb point. Now, I thought Phoenix had a real shot to beat Denver, which shame on me for thinking that, but when they made the Durant deal, I absolutely stamped the, the Phoenix Suns as as my pick. The Lakers were the best team in the NBA after the trade deadline. I mean, that's just a fact in terms of wins and losses, and their defense was excellent. Now, LeBron and AD aren't getting any younger What would those teams in the offseason, Scal, have to do, in your opinion? I mean, for me, with the Lakers, I'd love to see them. It's not going to be apples to apples, but run it back. Everyone talks Kyrie. I'd rather, you know, re-sign A.R. and Hachimura, who I think is a very talented player. That's what I'd like to see. You know, I personally think that Phoenix would be better off without Chris Paul for a variety of reasons. What do you think those teams need to do to challenge Denver?
3: Well, I mean, at first... Like, the easy, like, low-hanging fruit pick would be, like, keep an eye out on the Damian Lillard situation. Let's see what happens with him. Also, keep an eye out Chris Paul going to L.A. Yep. Because you you, you mentioned Kyrie. Well, they can probably sign Chris Paul, keep Hariri Hachimura and uh, Austin Reeves. So, you know, maybe that's the, the answer. And I would I love that age- for the
1: Lakers, by the way. I think that would be a great, a great offseason. Hachimura, A.R. and Chris Paul, I think that would be excellent.
3: Yeah. So do I, I I do too. And so I think that that would be, you know, like the Lakers will only be as good and consistent as Anthony Davis is. So if there was a way, like I, and then the last thing would just be, are they relevant enough if LeBron only plays like 50 something games? Cause you can't ask LeBron to play 65, 70 games and still have the juice to go in the playoffs. Right. So that's from the Lakers standpoint, that's how I look at that. When I look at Phoenix, um, you know, i a lot of talk when you talk to people from Arizona, you know, obviously people follow the team closer than I do. They they talk that Deandre Ayton is like an issue. I don't know like what was up with him and Monty Williams? What is up with Chris Paul always yelling at him? Why every time do they lose, it's always Deandre Ayton's fault? So, like when there's smoke there, there's usually more than what we're like when when Deandre Ayton played in the finals against the Milwaukee Bucks, I was looking at him like, man, this guy's really good. And since then, and the contract dispute, and they made him play it out, then they made him go get an offer, then they matched the offer. I I, I mean, there might be something there, which I don't know if teams are interested in that. You know, like, I'll tell you what. I can insert this particular name into any championship-level team and every single one you would get excited about. And if I said... Man, everybody needs a Mikkel Bridges. You would say yes, Gal. You're mm. absolutely right. 100%. From Miami to Milwaukee to Boston to Phoenix to L. A. to Denver to Portland to who, you name it. Everybody wants that guy. So you're not going to get him. The Nets have him, but who is the next Mikkel Bridges that is coming up? I think those are the types of players that I would be. I'm starving for as a as an additional piece. So that's when you start talking about teams that can challenge denver i i know that you can't get mackell bridges but is there a guy like that a solid defensive guy versatility can score and shoot it but not you're not required him to score 30 points a game that's the addition that every single team that wants to be good needs a guy like that yeah, and,
1: and it's interesting, you know, how about a guy like Fred Van Vliet, if he's available? Not obviously, you know, that kind of player, but a winning player who can yeah. certainly, he's won a championship, he's been available, reliable, which in the modern-day NBA is is a significant deal. Is that a guy that you think for a big team, you know, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's the Lakers, the Clippers – heck the spurs with wimben Yama. i'm being dead serious mm-hmm. gonna have 30 mil in cap space is fred van vliet a guy who could be impactful in making a chase
3: for next season i think he's an impactful player um it, it's really hard i don't know if the, the teams that have money like championship level teams don't usually have money so i don't know if he'll impact that but here's Here's a team I'll throw at you, and it would be really interesting to see if he is a guy that can get them going in the right direction. Because, Adam, I agree with you. Like, I think Fred Van Fleet's a winner, but Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, maybe getting off of Mike Conley, his money. So they might have some space there. Anthony Edwards is a young player. Fred Van Fleet can play off the ball. I'd be really curious if they're interested in a guy like Fred Van Fleet. Like, if I had a choice between Fred Van Fleet and Kyrie Irving and I had the Minnesota Timberwolves, which to me are really Anthony Edwards uh centric and focused, then I would look for a guy like Fred Van Fleet. Like he's he shows that he could do a lot more things and just be a an on-ball point guard that pounds the blood out of it, right? So I'm I would be curious about that. I'm definitely curious about the San Antonio Spurs. He's not gonna go down there and make them a championship level team. But if you ever talk to Fred Van Fleet, man, he's not not a child, you know, he's not immature. A he's a mature basketball. Yeah, he's a mature basketball player that is not going to do like knucklehead things or anything like that. He's going to play hard every single night. He's going to compete every night and he's going to lead teams. Now, whether, you you know, the San Antonio Spurs can get to the first round of the playoffs and it could be a successful season and it could be really successful for Wimbenyama. But I, like, I would look at, if I'm the Spurs, I'm going to look at my space and say, how can I improve my team to get Wimbenyama heading in that direction? I'm not sure I want Victor Wimbenyama to be, you know, you know, fighting for or tanking, you know, in the first year. I want him fighting for meaningful games. So I'm 100 percent looking at San Antonio. I would, I was even looking at San Antonio for a guy like Chris Paul. I love and that. Seeing like his professional, his professionalism. I would be real conscientious of putting the right people around Wimbenyama.
1: We're on the same page. I think it's a big story. I think San Antonio. They they don't have time. They're they're, they're going to be active. They need to win. They need to be relevant. Pop's not getting any younger. Obviously, Wimbenyama I think will make an immediate impact and. You're going to want him to stay. Scal, how about Boston? And, you know, just just to give you a take, I mean, after Milwaukee got bounced, I I called the Eastern Conference the Celtics Invitational. I mean, I just Mm -hmm. thought and assumed that they were going to go to the NBA Finals. You, You obviously talk about this team. You talk about every team. You do the broadcasts. You know, when Joe Missoula was hired, I've known people who have known Missoula for a while. I was like, all right, this this makes sense, right? You know, on the heels Uh of what happened, I I thought he was going to be good. The Celtics started out incredibly well, scuffled a little bit down the stretch of the season. But I still thought they were going to make a legit run to the NBA Finals, or at least you'd feel better about Tatum, Brown, the coaching. I like the changes on the staff. I I thought Missoula did an excellent job. I thought Brad Stevens was pretty level-headed after the season, saying, no, we're we're bringing Joe back. You don't want a fourth coach in four years. That's me saying that, not Stevens. What's the missing ingredient here for the Boston Celtics?
3: Yeah, and this is only my opinion. Like, um, you know, like you saw that Jalen Brown, um, it was an All-NBA player, so he qualified to be an All-NBA guy, right? So when I look at All-NBA players, I don't, a lot of people love to look at points, right? And that's important. you got to be able to score the basketball, no doubt. But I look more like at like Jokic, making people around him better. So my whole thing with those two, and it's always been this way, like before the Celtics were good, after we lost Kyrie and Kemba Walker's knee was bothering us or bothering him. And then, you know, like I've always said, you guys are always looking for someone else, but the answers are Jalen and Jason. And you guys like uh, always tout when they score 30 points each. That doesn't do anything for me. What I really want with with him is I want both those guys to make people around them better every single night. I want them to have nights where they have, you know, 12 points and 12 assists. And, you know, other nights you got to score 30, 35 points. But I just think that I would like to see the ball in their hands a lot more. I, I wanted that three years ago. I wanted that two years ago. I wanted that last year. And I wanted that this year. I just believe like if you're going to win at the highest of levels, your best players have to deliver. And it doesn't mean you don't like, you don't have different guys throughout the regular season, but if you ever look at the playoffs, when anything gets tight, Miami goes to Jimmy Butler. When anything gets tight, Denver goes to Jamal Murray. Those other guys like Michael Porter jr. Can come down and take a shot and bang. He can make it or, or Aaron Gordon. A lot of, a lot of these things could happen. I just put the ball in my best player's hands, you know, down the stretch. So that's, what I'm what I'm looking at with these with this team is for them to make a full commitment to those guys, which means probably some of our on ball players will maybe get moved or get traded. And you find guys that just kind of like work around those two guys. And I don't and then there's also another thing here with the tax, the new CBA, the apron, the 17.5 million dollar apron that you don't want to go over. It makes it really difficult to make trades and improve your team. Do the Celtics want to next year be another, like they were a tax team last year, a tax team this year. You may want to go over that apron this year. I, they, they could do some things to get under the tax. So it'll be curious what decision the ownership group decides to make when that thing comes up. So if, if they gave me a blank check, then yeah, go out there and go get whoever you want. But you have to think about that nowadays. You can't just be a repeater You like every two or three years, like this new CBA is designed for you to dip back down below that luxury tax, and then kind of restart your clock. So hopefully, um, with them, they whatever decision they make, like I think that's going to be kind of like the the main precursor to whatever they decide to do.
1: Scal, final question for you. I think this is it for Dame, and he's going to get moved. And I love what mm-hmm. he's represented in Portland and staying loyal. And it's a great city and a great sports town and a great NBA town. Where do you think is the perfect
3: fit for Damian Lillard? I mean, the perfect fit is Brooklyn. Um, I, I don't know if they have enough assets. I don't know where people are at on Ben Simmons. Would Brooklyn go all in on him? Uh, not Obviously not giving up Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, uh, Nick Claxton. So – I, if 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 I'm Damian Lillard, I want to go to Brooklyn and play with that group. I think that I think he could be the difference maker in that group. The Knicks have a ton a ton of picks. I think Jalen Brunson is an amazing human being. Like it's rare to find why. I you, remember you talked about. I had that cup of coffee coaching. I got a chance to coach Steph Curry. I thought I've been around some great people, some great players. I've never been around someone with the combination of both. I heard a lot of people compare Jalen Brunson's attitude with the way that Steph Curry is, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like both fathers are, are former NBA guys. So, yeah. you know, like, maybe it's like not, not, not getting so overwhelmed by all this stuff, which could get crazy, you know, at times. So yeah, I would think that those two teams would be the one A lot of, a lot of people are talking Miami, but it's just hard for me to conceptualize what Miami has that, that Portland would want. So, or do they have enough assets that they want? So I would I would look kind of like towards the east. If I was them, I wouldn't trade if I wouldn't trade Portland, I wouldn't trade them to the West. And I would go with the third pick and try to get another pick. So that that's um that's if if I my guess would be for Damian Lillard, that's what it would be.
1: Scal, you're the best. And I'm telling you, the Brian Scalabrini, Frank Isola radio show and NBA radio. And it's on the NBA app as well. I mean, it is—it's the best sports morning show. And and Scal and Frank, you know, two guys I've known forever. It's outstanding. NBA Radio, the starting lineup, seven to ten a.m. Eastern, channel eighty-six, and on the SXM app, just search NBA Radio. Scal, you're the best. Love the breakdown. Love the opinions. Keep up the great work, and as always,
3: appreciate it. And I didn't know I helped you out in life, so you owe me dinner, brother. I didn't. I didn't know it was like that when I did that interview. So you owe me at least. You know what? You owe me lunch. Give me a I salad that, and a sandwich.
1: I mean, at least lunch. And I'm being serious. This was two at least weeks, lunch two weeks before I had the interview with Steve Cohen, and he was yeah. coming from. He left Fan, and this was one of the turning points for me, buzzwise in my career. So thank you, Scott. All right.
3: You got it, man. We'll talk later. We always talk. Adam, I'll talk to you later. It's time for texts from Jack Shine.
2: All right, Bob,
1: Stu, here is a text from Jack Shine. It was during the radio show on Monday at 9.43 a.m. Eastern Time. Buzz. Bravo. Great knockout punch of Saquon Barkley. Of course the Giants are too smart to pay his ass. Saquon cannot stay healthy. Rescind the franchise tag before considering giving him what he wants. Great salvo at Saquon. (laughs) Under no circumstance can the Giants pay Saquon Barkley. Guy can't stay healthy. Jack Schein knows it. I'd rescind that franchise tag. I'm being serious. I said this on Shine on Sports. I'd rescind it before I gave him a long-term deal. A phenomenal player, excellent running back, but nowadays in the NFL, you if they rescinded the tag, there's not a team in the league that would pay him $11, 12000000 million this oh, season. Yeah.
2: No, I couldn't agree more. I think this is your least controversial text from Jack Shine, Adam. I mean, I don't think he could be more right. All you have to do is look at the fact that Dalvin Cook just got cut. I mean, well, I mean Saquon Barkley, teams aren't paying the running back anymore. If anything, teams are cutting the running back in their late 20s. Remember, it used to be in the old days, it would be, oh, this running back has hit the age of 30. It's all over. Teams are saying now, this guy's 27. It's over. Like, it's unbelievable what teams have done to get out ahead on the running back. They'd rather draft a guy in the fourth round and play him than pay a guy who was a superstar when he's about 26, 27 years old. That's all you need to know. That's why the writing's on the wall for Saquon, Adam. He is never going to get this kind of deal, and the Giants would be insane to pay him. I agree Remember, with Remember, it was Gettleman who
1: drafted him. He's long gone. Joe Shane, Brian Dayball, they're too smart for that. So... You know, I, I and Saquon threatening to hold out. He's going to pull a Le'Veon Bell. I mean, <laughs> at, <laughs> has that ever at, worked? No, for running no, backs.
2: No, no. Remember, I'm, so I'll give you the one that always gets me. And you nailed this take like a hundred out of a hundred. Melvin Gordon. Oh yeah. Remember when Melvin Gordon held out? And I think you called it the most foolish holdout. Great memory. Dumbest holdout in the history of
1: holdouts and. I'll give you half this story. You're going to have to fill in the blank for me. You know, Melvin Gordon was our guy, right? Wisconsin Chargers used to come on the show all the time. And I just ripped him, annihilated him, made no sense, going to ruin his career. And it did. It, I mean, he was he was hot. He was a great player. And, you know, basically they said, get the hell out of here. It just doesn't work for, for running backs. And, you know, finally, after, you know, his career was basically in the tank and he goes to Denver he he event- and he wouldn't talked to me forever, and his people wouldn't talk to me forever. I mean that's you know part of the job it's what what I do. I eventually had him on t v and we talked the whole thing out on on time to shine. but didn't his public relations woman do I have this story correct? Did't she <laughs> curse you out
2: about me? Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, you were doing a show up on radio Row. we're trying to book Melvin during Super Bowl week. And I think we were going to do maybe even a phoner, which we never do for Radio Row. So she walked up to me and she goes, you know, you know what the F is Adam Schein saying that this is the dumbest holdout in the history of holdouts regarding Melvin Gordon and basically cursed you off to me and then cursed me off at the same time? I couldn't believe it. No one has ever been that blunt with me, especially you know, you work in public relations or especially something we had a relationship with beforehand where we would text all the time with her and try to get different people on different players. I was blown away that she was that angry over it. and all I tried to explain was Adam Shine has to give his opinion every day for a living. He has to say what he believes and this is what he believes. I apologize that it doesn't align with your interests. And then, you know, the next thing you know, he wasn't coming on that week for our show on Radio Row. And I said, all right, what are you going to do? There's not much we can do. Sometimes it's not what you can do, Adam.
1: I mean, that was the easiest take in the the history of Shine on Sports. I mean, Melvin Gordon, and I love him, but was never heard from again. Rise and Shine is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give a five-star rating, leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Serious
3: XM Podcasts.